Welcome to Social Work Stories, a podcast exploring social work practice through stories and critical reflection. This podcast is recorded on Aboriginal country, lands which were never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. We offer a warm welcome to any Indigenous listeners who are part of our podcast community around the world. If you have thoughts or feedback for our team, or just want to find our whole back catalog of episodes, check out our website, socialworkstories.com. But for now, on with the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. I'm Mim Fox, and I'm here as usual with my wonderful co-host, Liz Murphy. Hello, Mim. Hi, Liz. Hi, everyone. It is good to be back. It is so good to be back. And tell us about these special episodes, oh, Mim. These are special episodes, Liz. They're a bit different to what we normally do, and our listeners will see a bit of a difference. So this is really exciting because here at the Social Work Stories podcast, we've been able to partner with the University of Wollongong and Illawarra Shoalhaven Local Health District to showcase a really special program that happened in this healthcare service about staff wellbeing. And look, Liz, you and I talking about staff wellbeing is not unusual for our listeners, right? No, we've banged on about this for, you know, several episodes. At least. Yeah, yeah. But this is different because this is a story. Yes. This is a wonderful, rich story from a group of people from my part of the world. Yeah. And so um, maybe we can just tell a little bit about the setting as well. So it is about staff wellbeing in response to a traumatic event that happened in 2019, 2020, the bushfires. That's right. And look, our listeners will not be um, surprised by the fact that that happened, regardless of where you're listening to us from in the world. Uh, We've spoken about this on the podcast before. People might remember that we actually had an episode that featured stories from the South Coast, New South Wales South Coast bushfires, because our producer, Justin, was down there at the time doing the groundwork. And um, and our other producer at the time, Ben Joseph, was also down there on holiday and he was stuck down there. Was he? Yeah, you remember that, Liz. Like we all had our little experiences at that time that we were speaking to. I mean, it feels ages ago now, right? It so does. It feels like another lifetime ago. And I feel like I'm so happy that we get to tell this story because I think COVID took away the, the uh, I, I guess, the focus, if you like, on yeah. what it's been like for people, um, like the ones we're going to listen to, to recover from what was essentially a, a disaster. Yeah, you know, um, the bushfires, although it feels like it's far away for us now, for the people living down on the south coast, that is still so incredibly present, right? And well, every summer makes brings it back up again. And, you know, this is where I live. So yeah. I live in this coastal area and I remember this. I remember that the thick smoke, but I also remember driving down to where this story took place just after the fires had yeah. occurred and the lush green bush was like a moonscape. Yeah. And 
we will get to hear that a lot more with these people sharing their stories from the health district that I work in. So it's very personal, these stories for me too, because this is my country and also these are my work colleagues. And I'm so glad that we can honour their stories of recovery here on the podcast. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, I love, I love that, Liz. And I think um, it's really important, I guess, to sit with people's stories in this situation. And, and to kick us off, what we're going to do is we're going to hear from Michelle and Gail. Um, two people who worked in the de- in the health district who still work there, and um, just to give us a real sense of what was happening down in the south coast at that time. Yeah. Hi, my name is Michelle, and I'm the pharmacist at Milton Alladella Hospital. And on the morning of the bushfires, I was at home on a long weekend and preparing to actually go out on a day on the water, water skiing. And there was really no concern early in the day that there would be any issue with bushfires. So it was a really normal morning. And for me, um, I think that normality actually really threw me. I, I was really not prepared in any way that in a couple of hours time, I would actually lose my house. And as the morning progressed and there became concerns that the bushfire um, was coming in three different directions, it became a real threat. And you know what, it's funny because um, I, have a, I had a fully, full brick house and I really even in, in my heart didn't think that anything would really happen to it. And so, um, over, time, over the period of the morning and the threat, the fire did come through really quickly. And there was, you know, running around and trying to save animals. And there was also trying to um, use hoses to sort of put out flames. And in the end, um, I took my two dogs and my neighbor's two dogs and I left. We fled down to the lake. And we really didn't know what had happened at that point in time. I mean, our, both of our homes were ablaze, but um, people were sort of trying to put it out and extinguish it. And, you know, we drove through horrendous fire to get back down to the lake. Um, the bush either side of the main road, the thoroughfare was heavily on fire. And to the point that um, if you put your hand on the windscreen of my car, you could have burnt your hand. It was just, there were, there were branches falling. Um, it, was, it was really scary, like it was really scary. And it was later on in the day, so that was about lunchtime. It wasn't until later on in the day that I actually found out that I had lost the house. It had completely burnt to the ground with everything that I owned, everything. I actually didn't get anything out at all. Um, and I guess it was the beginning of really understanding what it was like to experience a trauma. And I was probably numb and in shock for the first few days. Um, People were really kind and lent me clothing and toiletries and sort of other things. But it was um, a process of processing everything to really understand the impact of what had actually just happened and I'm a very spiritual person I'm a yoga teacher I'm very grounded um, but it really shook me to my core we'd all had different stories 
everybody had a different experience throughout the fires. Not everybody had lost their homes, but everybody's experience for them individually was just as traumatic. When the bushfires started on the south coast, it was really eerie. I live at Sussex. You looked outside and the sky was red. You couldn't see anything. We had no power. It cut straight away. It was really strange because my phone kept going off with messages from work, but I couldn't reply. It really affected me in a bad way because I felt like I was letting the team down. The days went by and we had power, no power or water for about a week. About day two in Sussex, cars were trying to get out of the town because we have 20, over 27 caravan parks and it was, it was packed. People were handing out bottles of water on the highway to people because they, they were stranded. They didn't want to get out of the line because they thought they'd lose their spot to get onto the highway. I went down the street on this day and they were, they were selling ice. Well, because we had no power, we had the fridges, you couldn't open them because everything was going off. But what we didn't realise was when with no power, you have no ATM. So the line was, I would say, probably 100 deep. People could buy two bags of ice and people weren't realising that if you didn't have cash, you weren't able to get it. I was standing in line this day, this day and these people behind me, they were young guys, talking about their small families, they were down on holidays and they were both saying, we can get two bags of ice each. And one of the guys said, that's good, I've got my card here. And his mate goes, there's no power. You can't buy ice with no cash. And he goes, I don't have any. So I turned around, I gave the guys some money and he goes to me, why would you do that? And I said, because we're in a small community, we help each other. He goes, but I won't be able to track you down. And I said, I don't need the money back. Just go and help your families. Oh, Mim, it's all coming back to me. I remember this time, I remember people being trapped on the road, as Gail and Michelle describe. And I also remember that our CE was basically asking for staff to help with the response. Yeah. And so what we're going to hear now is one of those people who stepped up and into that response. And this is a wonderful social worker called Padmini. And Padmini was the designer of the SEED program, which is what we're showcasing on these episodes. So let's hear from Padmini about what it was like when she arrived at the Milton Ulladulla Hospital. It was in the first week of January 2020 when my chief executive, Margot Maines, had requ requested me to go to Milton to help out with the bushfires that driving from my home to Milton for about 2.5 hours, that I had to stop by the roadside when I could only comprehend black and brown and the smell of smoke almost brought a visceral reaction in my entire body. I literally had to pull over for a while, just come out of the car, calm myself down, and looking around everything that was burnt to the ground, I had this experience of feeling totally insignificant to the point 
that I wanted to be bigger than my own individual identity and be part of a collective identity. Taking in that smoke for me was almost that moment where I had to plant the seed of hope in my heart that I am going to do my best. Small is all and I'm going to work with the willing. And that was my journey to Milton Hospital. You know, Liz, earlier this year, I had the amazing opportunity of going to Milton Aladala Hospital and doing some interviews with these staff members and hearing their stories up front. And, um, and it was the most amazing experience because, like we've said, south coast of New South Wales, it's full of all these small towns, right? And um, in Milton Aladala, you've got one road that runs through it. You know, Gail described that road and what happens in a crisis when actually people can't get in and out, right? But um, what was really stark to me when I was there was the road is right there and next to the road is the hospital, right on that road. Now, you could blink and miss this hospital, Liz. It is such a small country hospital, right? And it, um, when I was there and people would talk about the ward. Now, you and I have worked in hospitals, right? My image of a hospital is many wards, right? But they kept saying the ward. And then I went on this tour around the hospital and genuinely, Liz, there's one ward, right? I, I know the hospital quite well too. And the other thing that struck me when I went down to visit it was the lack of hierarchy that existed like so as you're walking through the hospital yeah. you've got the head of operations that's kind of having a bit of a chat with one of the nurses you've got you know a, a doctor that's uh, working on a patient um, and the other thing is they're all kind of talking to each other like they're neighbours. Yeah. Because, you know, like in a big busy hospital, sometimes you're lucky if, you know, the doctors acknowledge that the social worker's just walked in to work with the same patient that they're standing over. But here I felt like it's like, hey, g'day. Yeah. Um, we'll be going down, we'll go, go, grab a beer after work this afternoon. It was beautiful, beautiful. I know. It's a community not just in the geographical area, but the community within the hospital and the health service as well, right? Like it's it's that small environment that we're talking about here where this program actually came out of. So just so that everyone's clear, like Milton Aladulla Hospital has 150 staff members, right? It services the Lower Shoalhaven area and has this combination of wards, right? So in any hospital, you're going to find a combination of both acute services like emergency departments, right? Um, as well as more outpatient services, more long-term um, services, right? So, but Milton Aladala, because it services the whole community in this small hospital, also has all of that. So it's got the acute services, the emergency department, which is a room, Liz, but it's got that emergency department, it's got the medical wards and then it's also got the outpatient services, it's got the renal dialysis, right, it's got the oncology, it's got everything that this whole community is going to need. And it's not just the local community that use this hospital. Come Christmas time or holidays, this population like just explodes yes. because it is a common holiday area. So they have staff 
that also have to deal with massive car accidents, sudden drownings, things like that. So they've got this highly skilled workload, uh, um, workforce as yeah. well in, in, in Milton. Incredible, right? Incredible to have all those factors happening in one place, right? So in order to get something like a program about staff wellbeing up and running, you're going to need some key players, right? So let's hear now from Stuart and Padmini about who actually were the key players in starting this program. So I'm, uh, my name's Stuart Emsley and I'm the operations manager and director of nursing and midwifery services at Milton Ulladulla Hospital. And I'm a 49-year-old fellow with uh, a lovely wife and two adult children. And life for me is somewhat, you know, simplistic in that sense. And uh, I've, I've been in nursing for a, a, a great bulk of my adult life and worked my way through a range of different types of uh, nursing careers. Uh, I've worked in critical care. I've worked in um, in uh, mental health. I've done some uh, retrieval work and supported pre-hospital work when I was in Sydney. And uh, here I am. I'm now the uh, manager, if you like, of uh, Milton Ulladulla Hospital. The chief executive and the chief operations officer came down to Milton Hospital. Now, their name, Mar Margot Maines is the chief executive and Margaret Martin is the executive director of clinical operations. Now, this is our number one and our number two for the district. And they came down and spent an afternoon with us on the 6th. It was unannounced, it was impromptu, it was, uh, it was purely from the point of concern and compassion for the staff. And it was a pivotal point for all of us, uh, including me, because when I was standing there listening to the staff, I was realising that I actually didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't know what the move was going to be. Uh, and I was very grey about what I thought my priorities were going to be. I had a, a very operational attitude around the priorities. Um, you know, service delivery, business as usual, what's our capability, what are our resource bases, those sorts of things. But I was very uncertain about how we were going to manage the human element that would sit beside uh, the experience. And I remember saying to the chief executive, um, you know, asking her uh, a couple of questions and she said to me, Stuart, this is one of those times where I actually don't have the answer. I don't know what we need to do next, but I know that whatever we're going to do, we'll do it together. My very initial conversation with Margot was, tell me, what do you want me to do, Margot? And that's what I think most of us sometimes do when we are stressed. Look at our leaders for direction. And I still remember Margot giving me permission and resting that hope and trust back in me and saying, you are a social worker. I don't know what is required. You are the expert in this field. I only know one thing, and that is that you will do your best and placed her trust back in me. Mim, I am still grinning from just thinking about the partnership of the two very main characters in this seed story. You couldn't write this without people going, oh, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a stereotype. So what we have here is we have the critical care nurse who's now head of nursing meets 
social worker that's been sent down out of area to help. Now, I can't even imagine getting two people together that could be more different. Yes. And I wish I'd been a fly on the wall. I wish I'd been a fly on the wall when Stuart got told that a social worker is going to come on down. I know, I know. And, um, and you know, you and I have both worked with many critical care nurses in our time and uh, there are some really key differences in how a critical care nurse would think about a uh, hospital environment, culture, the needs of the staff, as a social worker would, right? Let alone a social worker who's coming in from the outside, yeah? So it's uh, the potential for fireworks is pretty much there, right? It's all, it's all set, ready to go. I think we can't be a fly on the wall, Liz, but we can hear from both of them what that meeting was like and what that relationship was like when it began and what was the potential of that, yeah? So let's listen to that from them now. Though I can have a laugh now and say things in jest, let me tell you, it wasn't easy to work with Stuart Emsley, the Director of Nursing, in the beginning. My background and training is in social work and Stuart is a ICU nurse through and through. Already having a plan and knowing what to do and here I am saying, woo, 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 Stuart, stop, stop, stop. We have to listen to what staff want. That should be our starting point. But slowly, slowly, as our friendship grew, it was fantastic to see how for his own healing, for his own growth, having his own story, slowly Stuart understood and saw the quick low-hanging fruits, if I may say, of how staff were actually coming and participating in our small group discussions and our numbers in our focus group started growing more and more. We had two staff, we had three staff, we had about eight staff and at one point in time we had 32 staff giving us suggestions and that was really really beautiful to know that people felt supported, people felt contributed and they had an opportunity to be part of their change. In amongst this, the chief executive contacted a lady called Padmini Pai, and she's a social worker who has moved into many different elements of health, uh, project management and leading change management in different sets. And this lady uh, I'd worked with previously in a clinical setting. So I, I knew of Padmini and I'd had connection with her in the past, but not, not for some time and certainly not in this type of circumstance and uh, so I got a phone call and the phone call uh, from from the chief who said that she was sending Padmini Pai down to help me and uh, the truth is I actually didn't know what I was going to do with Padmini Pai and I was probably even more confronted by the fact that I knew she was a social worker and I was a uh, very much a, a critical care clinician that's very factually based uh, I don't normally get myself involved in the emotional elements of you know, um, people or the business. And here I was being sent a social worker and I was absolutely unclear as to what I was going to do with her. But um, Padmini was coming and um, we, we, uh, we sat down on that first Monday when she arrived, which was uh, a week after I'd come back. And um, uh, I actually gave her a whole heap of tasks that were distraction tasks for me. I had to deal with police. I had to deal with staff-related things. So I gave her things that I knew she could complete that helped me, but it really wasn't addressing the reason she was here. Uh, 
in amongst that, Padmini is quite tenacious, and she uh, she set a, set a, her mind to how she could truly help the staff. And it wasn't about how she could connect with the police or do the staffing. It was going to be about how she could influence how they experienced the workplace and home. So we we um, we had a number of discussions, and she started to connect with staff and do little focus groups, and some rather big ones to be honest. And it was about what the staff wanted and what they thought would be helpful for them to deal with what they were, what they had experienced in the fire and then what they were experiencing in the workplace. And it was very, very much centered on wellbeing and, and tools and strategies to help support them as individuals and equally as a group of people and as a team. So we uh, did that and it was uh, rapid fire stuff. The pace at which she, she worked was phenomenal. I was working uh, you know, long days. We were doing 12-hour days, but um, very productive, very fast-moving. And uh, she had interviewed, uh, I think, 48 staff in a, a short three-day, four-day period. So out of this, um, this amazing amount of information and all the recommendations that came forward and all the wants and needs that the staff had, we developed five themes. And those themes were going to be the foundation of our our response to the wellbeing requirement. What an amazing partnership, Liz. What an unlikely partnership. I know. From the outset. I mean, we, you know, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about it and how it evolved. But, you know, in my head, I've got Stuart just telling Patty, look, listen, the toilets need to be given a good scrub. Can you also file these um, papers? Just Get that out of my way whilst I deal with everything else. I know, busy work. He's given her busy work to do while he's getting on with running the hospital. But that ain't what she did. That's so not Padmini's way. It's not Padmini's way. So yeah. instead of just doing the busy work, she's out there connecting with community. That's right, being being a social worker, right? Bringing her training into play. So now let's um, – we've been kind of, you know, tiptoeing around. What is this seed program, Liz, Yeah. Let's hear from Padmini herself what actually was the SEED program and the essence of that. I still remember one staff member telling me, what are we going to call this program? Why, can we, why can't we have a, a name that is fun, meaningful and light, then regrowth, redevelopment and have a huge concept hanging over our head? And I asked her, what would you like this program to be called? And she had a little think and she said, even if a laptop can be called or a computer can be called Apple, why can't we call our program Seed? And that was a turning point for all of us because in spite of everything that was happening to us daily, we were finding those small moments of joy coming together. And that's when we said, wow, Seed, bushfire, what does SEED stand for? And we got a lot of suggestions what S stands for, E stands for, E stands for, and D stands for. And that was the birth of the SEED program. So S stands for stability. We all wanted a bit of stability because there was a lot of shifting and moving goals all the time. We wanted to encompass each other, take care of each other. We wanted a sense of endurance to go through what we all were going through collectively and we wanted a sense of direction from our leaders which very very quickly was pouring in in all directions. I love the seed metaphor and 
like on so many levels that the seed um, metaphor is going to be used throughout these stories. But even environmentally, the impact of fire on some of the gum seeds, um, the relationship between fire and seed is very important in the Australian environment. And so there's, in my head I can actually see that because it's situated right there, right Milton Ulladulla Hospital is right there in the middle of this bush. And then there is the seed metaphor of the impact of this fire on these people, like the Michelle we've already heard about yes. the impact of the fire on her home. But now, Mim, there's a really interesting metaphor that's going we're going to hear about, and that is how a seed of hope, a seed of transformation has occurred in another main character in in this story. That's right. So Ruth uh, is going to tell us her story now and she's the project officer for SEED, uh, was the project officer for quite a long time throughout this period and her story is one that we've actually spoken quite a bit about on this podcast, Liz, compassion fatigue, burnout. You know, we've talked about the impact of working in the healthcare system and actually it's really beautiful to hear from Ruth, her story, but then also Padmini's a social worker, Liz, right? So she's coming from a theory base, right? And so to hear then from Padmini about how the theories underpinning seed actually work with experiences like Ruth's is really, really fascinating. So um, let's hear from Ruth and Padmini now about how they brought those things together. The seed story that I like to tell is a story that we don't really talk about much in healthcare, um, but it's a story that I think needs to get out there um, for other healthcare workers. So my seed story is one about burnout. So my story started before the bushfires. Um, I've been working in the same role in our health organisation for nearly 25 years. And um, I was getting quite exhausted in that role. Um, it was a role that I'd been very passionate about and um, I'd found my niche early in my career and I was just really lucky. So I work in aged care and I love working in aged care, but the aged care system is one that I was having trouble believing in anymore. And it was starting to kind of crush my professional spirit. And I was getting to the point where I just thought I cannot listen to one more problem that somebody needs to tell me and I thought geez this isn't good this isn't good at all because there was always joy in my interaction with clients um, but I was losing that joy and my mental health was getting worse and worse and worse and so I thought um, oh, I need to have a break so I thought mm, maybe a week I'll have a week off um, and in that week, I actually went to an EAP counsellor. I thought, you know, we're always off at EAP, so I thought I'd give it a try. Um, so I went to the EAP counsellor and she just very quickly identified that I was a lot worse than what I was probably willing to um, admit to. And she strongly encouraged me to have more than a week off. And that week turned into three months. So um, three months of sick leave. Uh, which was pretty a pretty tough time for me. I love being a healthcare worker, but I couldn't be a healthcare worker in that time. And, you know, it got so bad that even just driving past my workplace, 
I would, my heart would race. I couldn't even look at the building. It was just too stressful for me to even um, be anywhere near my workplace during that time. So it's pretty horrible, horrible time. And I think I came to the realization at the end of the three months that if I was going to continue to be a healthcare worker, I was gonna to have to make some pretty big changes. So either I was gonna to have to stop being a healthcare worker altogether, so give up my life's passion, my life career, and go and work in Coles or somewhere else, um, or I'd have to come back, make the decision to come back with a positive attitude, but knowing that things were gonna to have to change because there's no way I could come back to the same situation and it not happen again and me get unwell again. So came back knowing in my heart that I needed a change. So that was December before the bushfires and um, it wasn't long before the universe provided me with a big change. So unfortunately for our community, we were um, quite um, catastrophically affected by the bushfires um, down here in the Shoalhaven. And out of that was born the SEED program. And I was given the privilege of being invited to attend the first wellness warrior training um, that they had at the end of January. Um, so it was only a couple of months after I came back that I was introduced to SEED and it changed my life. I remember walking into the wellness warrior training and just, just feeling like I'd come home, I'd come home to myself. So I had a long kind of personal history of meditation and yoga and concentrating on wellness in my personal life, but I guess I'd never really been able to bring that to work. So we come to work with our work hat on and um, we don't necessarily bring our personal selves to work in, in a sense. And I felt like with the Wellness Warrior training that this was the first time in nearly 30 years that I was able to be me in the workplace. It was, it was revolutionary for me. Just made, made such a huge um, difference to my mindset at the time. And I am just con making new connections with the staff there and um, thinking that, wow, this is my first opportunity to be my authentic self in my workplace. And doesn't that make you feel incredible? So um, I was sold from the very first day of the very first five minutes probably um, of going into the Wellness Warrior training. And for me, it gave me a sense of healing, healing and a feeling that I could, I could actually be back in my workplace and I could be, come back to my workplace and feel a great sense of joy. I, I didn't, I was probably a bit scared that I was never gonna feel that again at work, that I would just come back and I would go through the motions, but the joy wouldn't be there. And that, um, yeah, that was pretty scary for me to have that, think about that. So I came back and I was just given that joy back and I was given the passion back and to kind of carry on. So um, really helpful. <laughs> helpful. So I guess seed for me brought opportunity, it brought healing, and it brought tremendous kind of growth of skills as well. Um, I was really fortunate that 
I kind of landed myself into the first seed project officer role. So that was a few months later. Um, there was sort of kind of some changes with my clinical role and it just um, provided an opportunity for me to kind of start in that. And that was only going to be for a couple of months, but it ended up being a year. So I just had, you know, the great privilege to work with firstly, the director of nursing at Milton Hospital, Stuart Emsley. Um, so we used to have weekly meetings and kind of, plan things about what we wanted for um, spreading kindness and and changing the culture, I guess, of well-being in our hospital. And then also just the privilege of working with all the staff at the hospital. In my previous clinical role, I didn't have a lot of interaction with the staff at Milton, even though I had an office there. Um, all my clinical work was out in the community. So um, one of the beautiful things about SEED is that just building up those really great professional friendships. And I guess you know, the more friendly you are with somebody in your workplace, the more likely you're going to want to look out for their well-being, and and the better you are as a team, and then the better you can provide healthcare. So, um, Seed was really able to promote that for me. Um, yeah, those connections where um, I just knew if I came into work any day where my wasn't feeling that great, I know I just knew that there were going to be any number of people that a were going to recognise that. And then B, they were going to do something about that. So just having that kind of total support and sense of support makes it easier to, to come into work on those days where you just don't feel like it. My background is social work. And as I was preparing to go to Milton, I was contemplating on which is the methodology that I can use to inform my practice and what is a theory that I would require as a starting point. So for me, the participatory action methodology is very, very comfortable. My training in India was in psychiatric social work as well as community development. Personally, for me, I've been raised by a village. I've been raised by a community. And that was my point of default. So having a participatory action methodology really opens up to be comfortable in the unknown and also having the view that we are the authors of our own story. And I think when that informs your practice, whoever you come in touch with can feel the presence of what we bring to a conversation and feel that energy of openness and also take responsibility for our own healing. The theory that informed my practice was a post-traumatic growth model, not a post-traumatic stress model. So in a post-traumatic growth model, we look at what is in the here and now that is working for us. Reaching Milton I quickly came to know that eight staff had lost everything, house burnt to the ground, and still turned up to work. So when we use a post-traumatic lens of growth, we look at what can we do right now to do our best to support each other and to support our patients. Oh, Liz, I love hearing a social worker talk about theory. Me too. <laughs> I love how eloquently Padmini actually is able to articulate exactly what the theory underpinning this staff wellness program is, right? So it's about post-traumatic growth. But it's 
to me, like I just felt my head explode off my shoulders. I was thinking such a different model. Like it's countercultural to the psychological model that some other people might have taken. Yes. Where they would have seen it as a trauma. Yeah. You respond by pathologizing people's reactions to it. But she's taken not just a post-traumatic growth model but also a community action model, that participatory action That's model right. that she talks about. That's right. Well, it's so common, isn't it, for social workers to get pulled in to just debrief staff, right? Like that's the most common response that often happens and to actually come at it from this different perspective uh, and actually really be truly consulting with the staff about what they're needing at the time, I think it, it's, it's a really innovative program. And sadly, one that I think other people might want to try, given given that this is an, an environmental disaster that's occurred. Yeah. This is actually a model that is transferable to other community-involved disasters. Yeah. The other thing, Mim, that occurred to me as I was listening to Ruth is the seed metaphor. So she talks about her own burnout and I was thinking about so here's someone who internally psychically has burnt out and in place there's also the 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 burnout of the environment in which she lives and it took that to plant this seed of transformation for this person yeah yeah well it really goes back to the conversations we've had Liz around the need for staff to actually not only to recognise what's happening within themselves but for other people to pick up on that for each other in the collegial environment and to be able to support each other going forward, right? Like the this was a unique situation where it was mirrored, what was happening internally was mirrored in the environment but I think that's a really common phenomenon actually for healthcare staff overall. Um, you know, if I were the listeners right now, Liz, I'd be thinking – yeah, but what did they do? Like what was the what actually was the program? And don't worry listeners, we're giving you three episodes in which to really understand what happened in this program. There's a lot more stories to share from the amazing staff at Milton Ulladulla Hospital. So after this episode now, in a week's time, we're going to have part 2. A week after that, part three. So over three weeks, you'll get the full story. And I'm really excited, Liz, to see actually where this goes and how it develops. It's a slow reveal. It is. It's worth the wait. It is absolutely worth the wait. So listeners, we will see you in the next episode, the next Seed episode. Thanks so much. Thanks in the production of this episode goes to the Illawarra Shoalhaven Local Health District and the staff at Milton Oladola Hospital and to the University of Wollongong. This episode of Social Work Stories has been funded by the University of Wollongong Community Engagement Grant and the National Health and Medical Research Council. We create this podcast because we're passionate about building the global social work community and strengthening our practice no matter the context. All of the practice stories we share are de-identified to protect and respect the people involved. If you want to help us grow the podcast tribe and continue the work we do, we would love it if you can subscribe or follow the podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way, you'll be sure to get every episode as soon as it's released. While you're in your podcast app, we would love it if you can leave us a five-star rating and a review. 
It would mean so much to us. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, where you can share our posts with your friends to help spread the word. And you can always find us at our home on the web, socialworkstories.com. The Social Work Stories podcast is made by Justin Stesch, Liz Murphy, and Dr. Mim Fox. Thanks so much for listening.